0: Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Um, we have gotten, I've gotten to meet a lot of great people running this organization. Um, we feature a lot of Kedish Shem stories here. Um, today's story is no different, and it's actually, um, last week's story was part two. Today, we're actually doing part one. We're kind of going out of order, but that's sometimes how movies go. This is real life. Um Last week, um, we spoke to an amazing woman um, named Dr. Shani uh, Virtualizer. Today, we're speaking to her husband, Ellie Virtualizer. These are people that saw problems in the community, and instead of you know kind of worrying about it or putting them out of their mind, they got right in there and they started to seek solutions and create solutions and change lives. And through our work at Project Makom, um, sort of seeing uh, the underbelly of the Orthodox world, the challenges, some of the systematic problems. Um, these topics of um, different forms of abuse and trauma and addiction have come very close to my life now and um, the work that we're doing. We really can't speak about the good unless we're willing to face the challenges. And ultimately, as I said in the last week's episode, when we face our challenges head on, when we're we're brave enough to speak about them, when we're brave enough to confront them, that in itself is a Kiddush Hashem. So um, with that intro, I'm delighted to invite our uh, guest today, Ellie Virtualizer. thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, thank you.
0: So if you could um, tell us as the chairman and uh, co-founder of Our Place, what is your story? How how did, kind of where did you come from and how did you get involved in work around kids at risk and addiction?
1: So um, I uh, consider myself an Our Place member, and I think I always will be. And, um, and I started, um, well, I grew up in Lakewood, New Jersey. Um, I guess one of the first uh, few hundred uh, families that um, that grew up there, and I I had some trouble in school growing up. And in those days, they probably didn't understand um, children as well as a lot of people do today. Fortunately, and I um, I um, had some trouble. I I I didn't attend a lot of school. Left my house at a young age. Ended up going from school to school until about the age of 14 or so. And um, ended up in Israel at the age of about 16. And, and basically was a street kid um, throughout my teen years. Um, in my 20s, um, I had a lot of people that lived by my house. And um, about 1998... Six, ninety-seven, ninety-eight. 97, um, 98 Numerous Individuals that lived at my house overdosed and passed away and um, At that time I decided that I need to start um, getting into this um, Field and figuring out what to do for this population
0: So what was the timeline of feeling motivated like you had to make a difference to actually um, opening up the doors to our place? I always when people are listening, I always want to sort of spell out kind of the what are the concrete details of going from idea to execution. How do you come about to do that?
1: So um, so I guess um, uh, teens, lots of teens. I like to sit and, and and ponder about the world or what's going on or maybe when they're getting high specifically and or and they just like to sit and talk and and I guess I always always had that um, that uh, you know different type of insights in talking to, to the people around me and have always I've always, um, I've always been, had that personality of trying to figure out a problem. And, and that being said, when, when, um, when people would get into the states of mind of depression or, or what's life about, I would be able to sit and talk for hours with them. And um, from there, um, when, when individuals started overdosing, um, I realized this is really a problem. And, and discussed it with others that were in the field. Um, and a few of us got together and opened up a place where kids could just come and hang out and be themselves.
0: So what year was this and sort of what was your, what was the initial, um, our place, I guess, like space, like, like what did you offer? How many people did you attract?
1: So, so initially, um, 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 Moshe Bennekel of came up with an idea. We should open up this location right in, Smack in the middle of Brooklyn and Flatbush on Avenue M and East 19th, um, and he was looking to to um, to put together to to put together the money to buy equipment for it, pool tables, um, the, the the we have a full gym there, and and other things that are at this location, which um, we opened in 1998. Um, so I put together the money for the gym equipment. At the time, we opened the doors and um, and slowly uh, started attracting the kids in the streets. That we um, that we now um, have thousands and thousands and thousands of um, let's call them alumni.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing! What was the community response when you opened this up? What were the, the good feed the good feedback you got? What what did the naysayers say?
1: Uh, community response uh, never, never stops. Even today there are community responses, but unfortunately it's not the, the community that, that we all um, know are the true and amazing community. So the community response at that time was, was um, go somewhere else. This is not something that we want in our community. You're just going to um, um, ruin children and give them um, A place to get worse. And and Rabbanim and people with money all came around and said, get out of here.
0: Wow. Um, But things have changed. Things have gotten better, right? We've gotten to a point now where we're getting better at talking about issues. We're getting better at facing shame and facing problems in the community. So when, why, how did things start to shift for the better?
1: So It took, I would say, a good ten years, maybe twelve years, um, till about 2010, um, where at that point more organizations started um, existing and more individuals started opening up their own, their own mines and their own homes and their own schools, and 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 um, it took it took a lot, a lot of work. It took us a good solid ten years to just. To just finally um, get people to to go public with the work that they're doing, mm-hmm. and um, I mean today we are we are by far the largest organization in this field mm-hmm. um, year to year. We have seven locations, we have different divisions. Um, year over year, from June through June of this past year, we had over eighteen hundred and some odd. Um, I think it was about 1856 guys and girls come through the organization. That's new guys and girls wow. about the, the, the ones that have been there from the years before. And um, it's a big, big, big number. And it's mm. just growing and growing. And we actually deal with the individuals, with these, with, with the guys, with the girls uh, and all, all different age groups. And, um, and that's what we do. That's what we do.
0: So, take us through some of the particulars here. What age groups are you serving, and what programs do you offer specifically for those age groups?
1: We have different divisions. We have um, our place, which is um, we have an our place drop-in youth center for boys, and then we have an our place drop-in youth center for girls. Um, Eleven? The,
0: like, what's the what's the youngest age? What's the oldest age for our place?
1: So. Unfortunately, it starts at a very young age today, uh, you know, ninth grade, eighth grade, um, Mm -hmm. so 13, um, 12, 13. We can't really officially take in anybody that's under the age of 16. So, Mm -hmm. so I guess in public, I won't uh, tell anyone Mm how many underage kids, unfortunately, are there. Mm -hmm. But but, uh, suffice it to say, there are a lot, a lot of eighth and ninth graders on the Mm -hmm. streets lots lot dozens and dozens and dozens and if they're on the streets then um i i'm a uh, we're big believers that um we should give them everything that they want um in a in a safe environment versus um
0: in a non-safe environment so what and are I'm, they getting when they come to the center
1: so in in the boys hour place drop-in center you have you have, it's about 5,000 square feet. It has this underground feeling to it. It actually is underground. Um, and it has, one side of it has a few pool tables, ping pong table, um, basketball hoops to shoot, six or seven large screen TVs on one side, which um, are for, uh, and all the different uh, video games, um, the Wii, the Xbox, all the, anything you could imagine. Um, the back area has... Um, has a a hundred a uh, hundred inch a uh, big TV huge TV which uh, with uh, room for about fifteen twenty to watch a game or watch a movie. One corner and on one end has clothing. You know, so people don't have clothing, they can come take a pair of pants, shirt, whatever they would want. Um, <clears throat> when you walk in initially, there's a smoking room which also has um has a a large TV and, um, and special, um, um, a special system for the air quality and they have hookahs in there. And, um, and then you have a a dining area, which with a few tables and hot meals, Mm -hmm. hot meals are are something that are, are, are for some reason, I mean, you know, it's not some reason, a lot of these kids, this is their only place where they get their hot meal. Mm. And, um, and then we have a full-size gym, a pretty big gym, um, with every type of exercise machine we could imagine. Um, we have, um, then we have a soundproof music room in the back, which has um, every type of instrument. Um, we have a a studio. That soundproof music room has also an area for, uh, which has a studio so people could learn how to I, um, we have photography expensive photography wow. equipment we have I um, have a different uh, um, we have another room that has computer equipment recently we've been, they've been teaching them um, editing classes and that type of um, um, technology hmm. we have um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty state
0: of the art place. So, what are you? Is this uh, center uh, staffed with social workers, um, mentors? Like, what type of staffing do you have to undertake all of these different activities and manage uh, the kids that come in?
1: So basically, the 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 center is staffed with. So each center has like a a someone that's in charge of the whole center as a whole. It has a um, a head of mental health and. Numerous um, mental health um, um, professionals. It also has someone that's um, that's a an event slash um, basically an event coordinator or a, or a, a, um, a projects coordinator that, that will will come up with new ideas and new projects to do and continuously keep it um, whether it's in the facility or taking or doing trips out of the facility. Hmm. Um, and, and basically each center is staffed the same way so you can have uh, um, uh, a lot of staff part volunteer part paid um, to uh, a lot of kids um, um, each center has somewheres between 50 somewhere between 50 and 75 kids a night hmm. um, it's it's um, it's a lot of work it's a, a lot, lot of work. work
0: so tell us um, what, what is- pushing kids onto the street? Um, because when I think about, you know, the hot meal at home, that's like, that's mom there that's providing, that's uh, generally most, if I'm going to be old fashioned like that, but what is missing? What is pushing these kids onto the street that they don't have a place to be? They don't have food to eat. Is it poverty, trauma? Um, like where, where does it begin? What What's the, the patterns that you're seeing?
1: So there is no question that 100% of the 18 to 19,000 um, um, kids and young adults that came through the organization, organization in the last um, 20 plus years have had severe trauma. There's no question about them, that's 100%. Um, specifically, um, the girls side have upwards of 90% um, um, sexual abuse, trauma, and the boys side have upwards of 60% um, sexual abuse um, trauma. And um, this is just, this is documented. It could be a lot more. Um, this is what we have documented. The The other trauma comes from, you know, comes from the system, the, the yeshiva world, um, um, the school system, the home system, um, learning disabilities. Um, you know, it's it's the trauma that, that, that children have by, unfortunately, growing up in, in an environment that they're misunderstood. Um, the system is not for them. Um, um, the system, you know, the, the, the box has, has um, ha, you know, the square is only for a certain amount of, of a certain percentage of the children.
0: So let's talk about generational, I guess, um, phenomenons. Was this a problem? In, you know, the previous generation, the generation before that, is there something new that we're seeing in this generation? And if something changed, what is it?
1: It's always been a problem. Mm-hmm. It's always been a problem. People will argue it's only 2%. It's a lot more. People will say it's only 10%. You know, every Jewish soul is, is, if it is if there's no amount, there's no amount of money that, that, that could be, um, uh, uh, that we could equate with any individual's life. And we're talking about thousands and thousands, tens and tens of thousands of, of, of individuals and children and adults, young adults, whether they make it, whether they don't whether they, they don't. And fortunately for us, the Jewish population, the religious population specifically has grown to become an amazing, amazing uh, a movement and an amazing, amazing sect within Judaism. Unfortunately, um, the percentage is, is still there, whether it's more or less, but we're still talking about tens of thousands of, of people. And, um, and the focus for most people um, are, you know, uh, are the majority, not the minority. So we end up with this problem and it's a generational problem, it certainly is.
0: So obviously, every community in the world has people that slip through the cracks and people that go through trauma or sex abuse. Do you have any sense of how the numbers in the Orthodox community compare to other populations? Are we doing better in some ways, worse in some ways, comparable? It's
1: a good question. Um, I don't really look to compare between between um, communities and and Jewish, non-Jewish, religious, non-religious. Um, the sexual abuse problem in the world is um, there are numbers like one in four um, girls uh, under, uh, up to the age of 18 will have uh, some sort of sexual abuse um, um, uh, um, trauma. Um, and one there are numbers like one in six uh, um, boys will have that in, 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 in the world. Whether or not it's better in the Jewish community, I'm not sure. It's hard to know. And we're still... Even though we've been we've been keeping track of numbers in the last, I'd say about ten years in that specific um, side of things, sexual abuse, um, it's difficult to know um, um, whether it's worse or not. There are certainly pockets within the firm, religious Jewish community that it's a disaster, a mm-hmm. real disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, the sexual abuse is something that we've tried to t- begin to tackle. Um, since 2012 and 13. My wife, as you know, has that organization, Mangainu. And it's still, we're we're still about 10 years away, I believe, or maybe five years away um, from really getting a handle on it. unfortunately, the COVID just really threw a lot of things back and there were a lot of um, um, other things that people believe are more important to deal with. I, I think that people don't realize the importance of this and it's and there are really just simple simple things that need to be added to the education and the system and the communication and the skills of both parents and and all adults that take care of children in order to to bring those numbers significantly down significantly mm-hmm. but that will take the attention of people and it has to be built into their lives it's something like that needs to, um, it's part of the way um, they speak to their children. It's part of the way I shouldn't say they. It's part of the way we speak to our children, and 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 that will will significantly reduce sexual abuse, and other abuses and trauma as a whole. And um, but we'll get there. We'll get there. The problem is is the problem is a good problem. The problem is is that we're growing at a rapid rate. Um, just look at the demographics. Look at the real estate, and look at the amount of people in the schools. There aren't enough schools. Or so all, all, the, all, the, all the good problems have this big spillover effect, um, which um, which we may not have enough people like you to to deal with it. You know, we we need we need this. We need more people to stand up and 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 at least support and make take the initiative and 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 get involved.
0: For sure, and we think a lot about um, the prevention side because um, ultimately, the job of a nonprofit is to shut down one day. you want to you want to be able to go out of business. So the question is, <laughs> how do you go to the beginning of the story to figure out why people keep getting sent to your organization? Take us through what does the healing process look like um, at our place? How does the maybe your average kid come in? What is sort of the mechanism through the programming, and then maybe you know give us uh, some examples of what a success story looks like, if any come to mind, of sort of beginning, middle, end.
1: There are thousands and thousands and thousands of success stories. Uh, the numbers are astounding. Um, at, at one point in time, we had an over over an eighty percent success rate,
0: hmm.
1: and um, and when I say success rate for us, success is that that an individual. Goes back to a normal community life, and mm-hmm. that's that's what we feel is our is what we need to do in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. So it's not like any specific part of someone's life that we um that we um don't deal with. Mm-hmm. So as a, as an example, we have our place the drop-in centers, which are, which are for I would say ages up to ages. 22 23 We have some stragglers unfortunately that are still there at 28 um so that's the first part the second part which is run independent of the first division is a division called the living room many people not aware or familiar that the living room is even affiliated or associated with our place it is it's all in our budget and it's all one organization we have one um, um, doctor, Trisha Tia, who um, is the head of all the mental health for the entire organization. And underneath her, she has different mental health professionals that run each division. And then each location has its own mental health professional running that location with numerous mental health underneath them. So The Living Room is a, is a, is a massive organization. It's a fascinating organization. And it was born in two thousand and. I believe. And it actually came out of an an idea that started that in 2005 or or 2004, um, an individual came over to me one day and said, Hey, Ellie, we have to have a location for guys and girls that come out of rehab. We're getting them into the rehab, but they're coming out relapsing, which is, you know, one of the, you know, it's not an unknown that, (coughs) excuse me, that, um, individuals come out of rehab and have a tremendous, tremendous relapse rate. So I said, okay, great. What do you want to do? He said, I want to open up a location more upscale than, than the hour place youth centers where we could just have a place to hang out. I'm like, okay. And what do you want there? He says one pool table, three computers, two offices for, um, for therapy and tables, chairs, food, that's all. I said, okay, done. Find a location and we'll do it. And that place opened, I believe it was 2005 or 2006 by the time we got it open. And it was called Judah's Club. Um, And Judah Friedman, who now lives in California, still in this field, I believe, um, successfully ran that for a couple of years. And then he decided to move on to California. And that concept in that place became what is now known as the living room. The living room has many locations in the five towns in Brooklyn and Muncie and Lakewood shortly in um, all over in Queens. It has many locations and the living room is basically for 18 to 80. So you can walk into a living room and it has a 12 step program slash um, whole life therapy group family and um, in each location, every night that 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 it's in session, and these are individuals with tattoos, nose rings, and uh, earrings, and piercings, and and Hasidic with beards and payas or just uh, any type of individual would be at any of these locations at any given time, and together they are staying sober and staying mentally healthy, mm-hmm. and. Um, that's what the living room, the living room does. It's um, <clears throat> it has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of members, active members, and it's a, it's a very big, powerful organization. Um, that is the second part to what I'm considering a, a whole life uh, a therapy um, journey. Um, we also. Um, opened up a location in Muncie, another location that's called Our Village, and a new division called Our Village, um, which currently has one house, which is full. Well, it's a sober living house. It's a non-for-profits division, obviously, of Our Place. And it's the only non-for-profit sober living house in this country. Hmm. Um, it's it, We opened initially for boys. It has 12 uh, 12 ability to facilitate 12 individuals at a time it's full at the moment Mm -hmm. and now we're in the midst of looking to open another house for girls Mm -hmm. Um, um, our village is the goal is to have five houses with a community center and it's it's a it's a it's a whole topic on its own but that's basically like for a transition between rehab and going back to regular life so that's a, a, a step in between. Um, these are this is the, the you know the different part. These are the different parts to our organization, different divisions. Amazing. And collectively, yes, it's an entire uh, an entire journey of keeping somebody um, um, from overdosing and dying, which unfortunately have I've personally buried over thirty eight um, uh, guys and girls in Melbourne. I mean, just just yesterday, Shani told me about. Uh, one of her friends that overdosed. Um, these are regular, regular mm. kids that, you know, they could be 40 or they could be 18 or 16. Mm. I mean, it could be uh, a funeral uh, in the middle of the night, uh, in the middle of the rain with barely 10 people, a minion um, for the burial, or 4,000 people, and uh, they're claiming that um, the person choked. So this mm. is truly still a big issue and a big and and very sad Um um, um situation but where we keep on going and we keep on trying to do uh to do the work
0: we're, we're just about out of time this is all fascinating and terrifying um how can our listeners uh, get more information give us a website and just some action item what can they do to get involved or be helpful in in this process of fighting this battle that you're about battle- uh, fighting
1: so um so our website is our um um we action items are are if you're um if you're a a, a child caretaker um put your phone down and listen you might not be hearing what your child is trying to say to you and just love them that's the bottom line unconditional love and that's our secret there's everybody involved in this organization and there are hundreds of, of of paid and volunteer individuals Everybody that's involved in the organization has one thing in common: they're 100% selfless and 100%. All they want to do is love the individual that they're dealing with, and that's what the per- people are missing. And that's what trauma um, um, ends up doing to individuals, and that's the solution. And that's what people should do.
0: Um, I mean, this is yeah. this is you're you're speaking our Torah too. This is what we discovered as well.
1: Yeah, so, so I just uh, just to, to end off, I actually uh, um, I have a fascinating story from Chaim Kanievsky, who's uh, uh, you know, one of the big dolem in, in Israel today. And he said, this is today's machla, this is today's sickness of our generation. And, um, and he said to an individual who had, had this trouble with his child, he said, what you should do is go to your neighbor or down the block and see which child in your neighborhood has the same issue and you just love that child and your neighbor will love your child and ultimately that will cure this this um, issue. So we're trying and we're trying to do the, the, the job of what many parents and many caretakers should be doing and hopefully um, everyone is there to to, to to take care of their own and continue to help each other so we can all take care of
0: our own. I mean, thank you so much for your incredible work and thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. You can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.